the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Unite IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. My name is Greg Britton of the Redlands Tea Party Patriots and the Unite IE Coalition of Conservative and Patriot Groups, where our mission is to unite freedom-loving, America-loving Americans and magnify our strength and effectiveness in making and keeping America great, free, and prosperous. Our republic, our country, our freedom and republic are at the precipice. You know, things may look relatively normal. Um, there's still food in the stores. There's still gas at the gas station. But we are the precipice of losing all three. And ultimately, whether we lose them or whether we keep our country freedom and republic is not up to any one politician, not up to Donald Trump, not up to somebody else. Uh, take a look in the mirror, and it is up to all of us as private citizens whether we keep or lose our country, freedom, and republic. Uh, one person who is certainly doing his job and then some to uh, keep our country, freedom, and republic is Brad Dacus, and he is the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, which is a nonprofit 501c3 legal defense organization specializing in the defense of religious freedom, parental rights, and other uh, civil liberties. You can find them at pacificjustice.org, pacificjustice.org, and they, the clients they represent, they represent them for free and ask people, other people to uh, donate to support their good work. Uh, welcome to the show, Brad. And while it's, it's Pacific Justice Institute, you are now Pacific to Atlantic Justice Institute. Oh, very, very true. Uh, we are all over the United States, uh, all over the United States of America, uh, from uh, Miami to Boston to uh, Seattle to Hawaii to uh, Dallas and just, and of course we have seven offices in California alone, uh, 36 offices across the country in 29 states. Uh, so we are, we have the biggest footprint of its kind across the country, coast to coast. I just found out, I was telling people we had over 220 cases in litigation. I just found out it's actually, uh, 255 cases in active litigation. Things are moving very fast. And our goal is to make sure that everyone gets help, that no one's left on the side of the road. And so uh, some of these cases are actually major class action lawsuits, uh, for example, against the city of San Francisco on, on behalf of about a 1,000 employees who are purged from their jobs simply because of their sincere religious convictions not to take a controversial, a medically and ethically controversial uh, COVID-19 vaccine. So um, we're very, very busy uh, defending religious freedom, parents' rights against the government, the sanctity of human life all across the country. Without let's, start, let's start. Let's start there because I we COVID is kind of in the rearview mirror, but uh, but not legally. And it seems to me that I know some some people have won their vax 
lawsuits, vax mandate lawsuits. Others haven't. Uh, the Supreme Court said that the OSHA couldn't impose it on, you know, I think it was a hundred more, a hundred employees and larger companies, but they could impose it on, uh, healthcare providers. I think it's kind of a confused, legally confused situation of to what extent the government can make you take a vax or other um, medicine that you don't want to take either for religious reasons or for, I just don't, I don't think that's the right choice for me and my family to take this medication. So looking back on this and, you know, there's another disease in China that's is going around. Um, that's, that, that whole situation is going to come back sooner or later. Um, where do, where do we stand on government vax and health mandates? Now, post-COVID. Well, I tell you, Greg, uh, we're making great progress in the right direction uh, to actually prepare us, not just for the people we're representing now, uh, but for the next attempt uh, by government to, in a totalitarian way to try to control us uh, like they did this last time. Uh, so uh, I would say on our cases and our litigation dealing with this issue, we are have more than a 9 out of 10 victory success rate. Uh, we're making progress. Uh, we're getting great settlements. Uh, we're, um, you know, seeing good case law precedents uh, set. So, uh, we're very, very positive. Uh, some of the case law has moved in our direction from the Supreme Court, uh, dealing with, uh, under Title VII, the fact that employers, uh, they have to be able to show that it would uh, create a substantial cost or expense to them to not accommodate uh, someone of, of faith or who has, or a person who has a religious conviction or conscience against taking the COVID vaccine or, or other kind of religious objection. So it was a huge, huge win for religious freedom in the workplace. Uh, it's impacting over half of our cases in active litigation. So, uh, we're, uh, very positive moving forward, but we also know that, you know, this is all a part of what I believe is a bigger strategy, uh, from the left, which is to indoctrinate us into submitting to government dictates and mandates and to forget the Constitution and the freedoms that we have uh, as a nation. It's to try to numb us to bowing the knee to whatever government says. We at Pacific Justice Institute are not standing for that. And before I forget, I just want to say to people out there, if they'd like to keep up with our cases and our litigation or are interested in supporting our work at Pacific Justice Institute, we have a half a million dollar matching grant right now. Uh, you just go to our website, pji.org, pji.org. Uh, an easy way to connect also, by the way, is, I love this high tech stuff, Greg, is simply hit to text PJI to the number 71541, 71541. I remember it. My way of remembering it is uh, there's a 71-year-old man Having lunch with a 54 year old woman and there's a one year old in the high chair, 71541. That works for me. Anyway. Yeah, you have this old case, 1905 Jacobson versus Massachusetts. It's still the Supreme Court case upheld a, it was a, at that time it was a whopping $5 fine for not being vaccinated. Um, but that's, that's, that, that's still there. And, um, so I don't think this issue is at all at all resolved um 
Now, maybe at some point the court will take that up again. Uh, the same cases that the Supreme Court was relied on in its holding in Jacobson versus Massachusetts, they relied on in upholding forced sterilization of, quote, imbeciles, unquote, in the 1920s. And my guess is that, that would not be upheld today. So is that something maybe in your litigation strategy that um, ultimately you would like to get Jacobson versus Massachusetts back before the Supreme Court? Oh, yes, uh, definitely, uh, especially on the, the grounds of uh, the free exercise clause of the First Amendment of the Constitution and uh, those with uh, sincere uh, religious beliefs and convictions. You know, one interesting thing and actually sad thing about this COVID-19 vaccine is the fact that uh, they never proved early on that it prevented uh, transmission or spreading from, you know, that it prevented it from spreading to someone else. And in fact, now we know it does not prevent transmission. There wasn't even a valid state interest from day one to require this vaccine, uh, you know, as far as spreading to one person to another. So, and now we also know that medically speaking, um, it's actually may have, may have been beneficial to some who had it initially. Uh, but now there's this huge, uh, medical, uh, burden upon all of those people that, that got the vaccine because, uh, more than 99% of those in the hospital with COVID vac- with COVID issues are people who were vaccinated. Mm-hmm. The people who were not vaccinated have strong immunities. They're moving on. Others uh, are dealing with all kinds of issues, whether it's neurological, uh, blood clotting, um, you know, mitocarditis, which is a serious heart disease. We've seen a 13,000% increase in children ages 12 to 19 with mitocarditis. I mean, it's, this is insane. So I hope we've also learned at it from it, not just from a constitutional perspective, uh, but also from a practical perspective that it will help the uh, Supreme Court relook again uh, at this case law, realizing that government has breached its trust and cannot uh, be relied upon with such sacred issues as to the health and safety of individuals and their ability to make the right decision for themselves. Yeah. Now it wasn't just the vax. It, it, you know, it's, you know, we can, it's in the rear view mirror for most of us now, but it was it, it, forcing people to stay home, forcing people to close their businesses, forcing people to wear a mask and the uh, rules of, of who could be open for business and who could be, cl- who had to be closed were obviously and blatantly political decisions making no medical sense. Yeah. You can go to the um, marijuana dispensary or you can go to the uh, strip club, but you can't go to church. Um, you can go, you can go riot, loot and pillage for BLM, but you can't have a protest to, uh, against all these medical measures and so on. And I can go, we can go the entire show of these, uh, politically oriented decisions and Largely, the, the, the courts seem to have taken an approach, well, the, the healthcare official has said X, so I'm going to accept X and not look independently at what X was and that uh, it's an emergency, right. so therefore the executive can rule by decree and we can uh, suspend the Constitution. And where do we, where, post-COVID now, looking back on that, where do we stand on this, the ability of, the executive and healthcare, uh, of course, 
quote-unquote healthcare officials to be able to rule by decree when they say there's a medical emergency. Yeah, we, we're seeing tr- uh, tremendous progress in the right direction. This was such a disaster, uh, medically, ethnically, constitutionally. Uh, the American people are realizing that. In fact, the last I checked, only 7% of Americans, despite all the propaganda, only 7% uh, were getting the latest uh, COVID, uh, uh, COVID vaccine. So the overwhelming majority of Americans are saying, wait a minute, we don't trust it. Um, we're having complications. I see the person to my left, the person to my right, either dying or having problems. So it has been a serious breach of trust. Uh, and the, the mainstream media is not talking about it, but it's there. Judges, in our cases, in our litigation, we've seen a change, uh, with our judges coming out and saying, wait a minute, uh, you know, New York Attorney General, where's the evidence? This is one of our cases. Is what, where's the evidence that uh, that this uh, vaccine uh, prevents transmission? Oh, it doesn't prevent transmission. And so why exactly are you requiring it? Uh, you know, so this these, uh, these judges more and more are being critical. Um, I praise God for former attorney, uh, President Donald Trump's appointments to the Supreme Court as well as the circuit court and the district courts, uh, because these are often the judges that have the common sense to ask those questions and no longer to blindly believe uh, the, the propaganda from the Center for Disease Control uh, and the FDA, which have completely uh, discredited themselves. Uh, unfortunately, because uh, in the you know in the end, if there is something out there that uh, we really need to be able to trust them on, uh, that trust has just been uh, just blown away. Uh, by I would say a large segment of Americans, uh, and so it's a it's a it's, it's a long term cost there as well in terms of the CDC being able to effectively uh, communicate and be trusted uh, for legitimate pandemics and things where they actually are telling the truth uh, but uh, are not listened to. Yes, um, I see a slight resurgence in people wearing masks. And the funny thing is that um, everybody that who is still concerned with COVID is and wearing a mask has already has been back has been quote vaccinated unquote for it probably four five six times. Uh, let's take a pause here and hear from our sponsor Ed Hoffman of United American Mortgage, a place to go for your real estate lending needs. Back after this. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage and host of the main event right here on AM five ninety The Answer. Mortgage rates are up, but credit card rates are way higher, and credit card balances have hit an all-time high as inflation puts the squeeze on everyone's budget, not to mention how auto loan rates and payments have gone through the roof. Let me point out, it doesn't matter how low your existing mortgage interest rate is if you can't make the payments on everything else. Are you wondering what to do? Do you need some financial strategy? Want to talk to someone who thinks like you? Call me at 855-640-2020. We'll discuss a strategy that works for you today and also considers what happens when the interest rates drop as we move into the inevitable recession. To have that discussion, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020 or go to edhoffman.net and click on the United American Mortgage logo. Ed Hoffman, NMLS ID number 9921, United American Mortgage Corporation, NMLS ID number 1942. United American Mortgage Corporation is an equal housing lender and licensed by the California Department of Real Estate. AM 590. The answer. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that 
of the Private Citizen. My name is Greg Britton, Redlands Tea Party Patriots and Unite IE Coalition of Conservative and Patriot Groups. I'm very pleased this week to be joined by Brad Dacus, President of the Pacific Justice Institute, and they represent their clients for free in defending parental rights, religious liberty, and other civil liberties, and you can find them at Pacific Justice. .org, and they have branch offices now from the Pacific to the Atlantic. Maybe we'll change their name to the Pacific to Atlantic Justice Institute. Um, before we resume our discussion on the cases that they're working on at uh, the Pacific Justice Institute, there's a very important set of initiatives that have just been released this week for gathering signatures. And uh, you can find them at protectkidsca.com, protectkids. Uh, CA.com, and what they would do is require parental notification from the schools. Schools can't keep secrets from the parents. Imagine that. Would protect girls' sports and their private spaces from boys and men pretending that there are women and girls. I just heard uh, the news this past week. A 50-year-old man identified as a teenage girl and wanted to compete in the teenage girls' swimming event and go into their locker room. Um Query was a, a country that would allow that. That's beyond our dis- discussion here. And lastly, it would, it would prevent kids from being sterilized and mutilated chemically and surgically. Um, kids can't consent to a tattoo, but you know, they under current law, if they want to cut off their private parts, sure, go ahead, be who you really are. So these great initiatives, which have broad public support. Um, in California are now available for signature. And if you go to that website, protectkidsca.com, you can download and sign the petition and mail it in. And this is a great development in initiatives. You don't have to necessarily stand out there in front of the, the Stater brothers to get people to sign is you can just download it, sign, print it out on your home printer, sign it, follow the instructions carefully and send it back in, and we can potentially get this and these initiatives qualified for the ballot. And I think if you haven't already signed, I'm sure Brad will be an early signatory to these to this initiative. Yes, you, you can be assured of that, and I, I think that initiative is very timely, uh, and it's also very winnable. Uh, it is very rational. Mainstream of Californians, I think, would be in favor of this. Um, so this is something we all need to jump on. It's not just one of these that, uh, you know, sort of a fly by night, you know, one in a hundred chance that, you know, that it'll, it'll pass. It likely will pass. We just have to get it on the ballot and I'm a hundred percent behind it. Yes. Uh, the polling, the polling shows that, uh, parliament notification is supported by 68% of California voters, um, protecting women's sports and their private spaces, 64%. And, uh, protecting children from being chemically and surgically castrated, mutilated, and sterilized, uh, with, um, these, uh, transgender surgery and drugs, 75% support that. So yeah, if we get this on the ballot, this, uh, enjoy broad support. It should even have to pass right. such initiatives. It says, uh, says a lot. Uh, so again, protect. KidsCA.com, sign it, share it. Um, and it's like the title of the website and the, and the initiative is Protect the Kids. Now, just as an aside, the California Attorney General, Rob Bonta, entitled it Restrict Transgender, Restrict the Rights of Transgender Kids, Children. 
initiative. But uh, that's how that's how California law works. They let a partisan do the title and summary of initiatives in California. Uh, let's go back to what you had got. You said you got 250 some odd cases. Well, obviously, we can't talk about very many of them. But what are the most important things that you're working on now? Yeah, well, right now we're dealing handling a lot of cases dealing with the pronoun issue in our public schools and in the workplace. Uh, we're litigating these things very aggressively as we speak. Uh, for example, of course, we have this issue we're dealing with in California, um, but also on the East Coast, uh, we're suing the Attorney General for New Jersey, who is mandating all the school districts to require all the teachers to lie to parents if a child has gender confusion uh, and is thinking about considering about uh, you know gender distortion of their body. They're supposed to lie to the parents. They're also supposed to use pronouns that affirm the lie, affirm the confusion, uh, a deadly confusion, I might add, statistically, for those who are uh, who do go down that track uh, as far as children. So uh, this is very serious, and we at Pacific Justice, we filed a lawsuit challenging the attorney general on behalf of several school districts there in the state of New Jersey. What else is uh, what else are you working on that uh, that yeah. can bring to our attention? Yeah. Also, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, we're also actively engaged in uh, defending uh, individuals who have been put on medical death row. Now, that's a term I came up with. So, if you've never heard it before, that's why. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but we're talking though about about a hundred people who made the top of the list, and about seven percent of the hospitals to get an organ transplant in order to live, a kidney, a heart, whatever, a liver. Um, And they've been told suddenly, oh, you've been taken off the list completely um, because you did not, you have not taken the COVID vaccine. So 93% of the hospitals out there, they don't care. They don't say, oh, you don't have to be vaccinated with the COVID vaccine because actually there's two studies showing your body's more likely to reject the the organ if you have the COVID vaccine. But these other 7% have contracts with big pharma, including Moderna, Pfizer, um, and they are saying, no, um, these people have to die. Uh, we want to make our money that much. We want them to be denied a critically needed organ transplant. Well, we have Pacific Justice, too. We don't take that lightly. The attorney out of our de- Detroit office is uh, heading up this litigation, and uh, he also happens to be a, an MD, a doctor, uh, as well as an attorney. And uh, we've already defeated uh, Trinity uh, Hospital, uh, saved two lives there. University of Michigan Medical, um, we sued them. They've backed down. We've saved at least two lives there. And uh, we're aggressively pursuing this across the country to save people who are now on medical death row, uh, not for medical reasons, but for political greedy reasons. And uh, we're uh, calling these these uh, hospitals out accordingly, including Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic. Uh, some of the big ones are some of the most notorious, uh, unethical, and uh, notorious in terms of violating the fundamental human rights of individuals uh, to uh, get the medical treatment they need to live. Always more to talk about than we have, than we have time for. We got about one forty-five left, and um, you, do, you did a pro a Zoom webinar, a Zoom session this past week. Uh, the battle plan for Christmas. Um, you know that yes. culture is upstream of politics, and uh, religion and family or lack thereof are upstream of culture. So. 
every Christmas it is Christmas is part of the uh, is part of that culture war. Uh, what's going on? What's what's the battle plan for Christmas? Yeah, it's really exciting. We talk about uh, during the Zoom call, but uh, we have people, for example, have a lot of Christmas parties. Uh, in the Zoom, we talk about how to make that Christmas party more effective and really be faithful with the opportunity that people have uh, to influence in a positive way. Uh, it's 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 very well spelled out at a Christmas party at my house, and uh, we implemented what we talked about and had a real positive messaging and impacting messaging. Uh, but also talks about faith in the workplace and the public square uh, this Christmas, how to, to really um, bring back the meaning of Christmas, the significance of it, and that truth, which can really set people free, uh, give them true hope and tr- true joy uh, at a time when so many people need it this year. Yeah. Um, Christmas without Christ, without Jesus, is just another variation on the winter solstice holiday. <laughs> right. Uh, very, well said. Well said. Well, it, it, it shouldn't be. And that's that's why we have this wonderful Zoom call. It's going to be very empowering for people. They just go to PJI.org, PJI.org. And you, you, you have the video available there? Yes, we do. Excellent. Um can carry on this discussion for another half hour or probably another two or three hours, but I know that uh, you have uh, other pressing work to do, uh, so we will let you go for today, and we very much appreciate, one, being on the show, and two, all of your work to uh, defend our freedom and our families and parental rights, and uh, look forward to having you back uh, in the future. Thank you, Greg. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate what you're doing as well. Thank you. And as always, stay tuned for the exciting second half of Unite IE Radio, where we're going to sh- shift gears and move about five or five, 6,000 miles to China. We have an expert on China. Tell us what's happening in that very important country. Back after this. AM 590, the answer. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. My name is Greg Britton with the Redlands Tea Party Patriots, as well as the Unite IE Coalition of Conservative and Patriot Groups, where our mission is to unite freedom-loving America-loving Americans and magnify our strength and effectiveness in making and keeping America great, free, and prosperous. And uh, our country, our freedom, and republic are at the precipice. Uh, Ultimately, it's going to be whether we, the private citizens, step up and save them or don't and we lose them. Uh, totally shifting gears from our first half where we had Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Uh, today, we're in the second half, we are pleased to welcome Wen Chen. Uh, she was born in China at the end of the Cultural Revolution, grew up in the uh, communist indoctrination there, excelled in school and science and went to a top university, came to the U.S. for graduate school and received a doctorate in biology from Caltech. Our gain, China's loss, is she ended up, she stayed here. And in addition to her uh, scientific work, she speaks about Chinese history, Chinese culture, and what is happening now in China around the world under China's influence. So welcome to the show, Wen. I'm so glad to be here, Mark. We'll start. Yeah. For as long as America has been a country, since the late 1700s, 1776, or 1787, depending on how you want to count it, uh, 
Until very recently, China has been weak and poor. And for the last 5,000 years, that is atypical. For most of the last 5,000 years, China has been the or one of the leading countries in the world, culturally and educationally and scientifically. Um, and in a sense that, you know, China is returning to her natural place in the world. But now we've got this communist, the Chinese Communist Party, this ideology from Europe uh, laid over on top of this, uh, of Chinese civilization and culture. So, throw it over to you is describe the nature of the Chinese regime. Is it really communist? In the sense that under Mao, they all wore these little Mao suits and so on. And now you, you see them in business suits. There's pri- there is their private business. Uh, in the big cities, there are, you know, big gleaming cities and fancy cars and so on. Is it, is, is it fair to say China is communist? Is it socialist? Is it fascist? How would you describe their system? China definitely is communist. I mean, communism country, like that's what Xi Jinping claimed. They just celebrated 100 years of history of communism, right? So no matter how Western elite define communism, China is communism. Of course, you can say it's socialism or something. It's the same thing. And I, you know, you mentioned about Chinese history. And I want to say, I mean, for 5,000 years, like, you know, Chinese people went through like, a, you know, over 2,000 Dynasties and every dynasty, the civilization went up and went down. Like, you know, the country became powerful and then weak and then another cycle started. But I would say communism uh, is totally different from any of the previous dynasties because communism is atheist. Like we're talking about a regime that destroy all religion and destroy the morality. And I would call the Chinese regime uh, a mafia system. So this is different from any of the previous uh, dynasties. Why, why do I say it's mafia system? Just think about any government. Can you see a prime minister disappear randomly by the regime? And can you see, like, you know, in this internal power struggle, even the very top level leader, like uh, uh, Li Keqiang, like uh, the former prime minister, like, uh, you know, in the Cultural Revolution, they, they killed the... Uh, you know, the, 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 like the vice president of China, right? Liu Shaoqi. So this is a system that they have all these kind of internal struggle, just like any mafia, only the most powerful person get on the top. And all they care about is to maintain their authority. They never cared about, um, you know, the well-being of their people. And I think this is a difference from any of the previous dynasties because all over the world, like when you talk to any, you know, elected officials or like any kingdom, like the kings and the queens, they think this is my country. This is my, you know, these people are my people. I need to protect them. I need to make the country grow. And, you know, everyone's happy. And then it's like my asset is growing. But that's not how communism regard. Like, you know, the communists, the communist party, all they care is about their own power, how long they can keep their power. And even if like this country will go down, all they think about is like before the country collapse, how much more money they can gather and how much longer can they stay with this power. And that's why you see all these human rights abuses in China, especially, you know, during the past 100 years, the Communist Party killed over 80 million Chinese. 
through all kinds of like political movements. Like basically all the time, they target like one to five percent of the population, claim them as country's enemy, and tell the rest of ninety-five percent of Chinese people say you have to all join the party and like eliminate this five percent of population. And then like it just keep rotating right until everyone become a victim. So if you talk to any Chinese. Like there's always someone in their family went through persecution, or they went through persecution at a certain time of the history. But like a common response is like they're also afraid of the regime. Say, oh, we can't say no because otherwise we get into trouble. So this is how this regime maintain their authority. It's a mafia system. They put everyone in fear so that they can join this, you know, mafia system and persecute their fellow. And that is why we have so much concern nowadays. When you think about China is becoming so powerful because all these、uh, financial ties with other countries, like they're making a lot of money, and this mafia system can utilize every resource in the nation、uh, to compete with American companies and to buy out American company, buy out American media, and to buy out our politi-、uh, politicians, right? Okay.、Um, no, I would just say I think that the leaders of America, most of the rulers of America and and Europe, really not only not care about their countries and people, actually affirmatively dislike their countries and their people, and are trying to、uh, to make their lives worse.、Yeah. Uh, at least, and you, your reaction to this is is the standard of living from really death of Mao and with、uh, what's his name the. Man who succeeded Mao as the head of the country. Hua Guofeng, yeah. No, and Deng、uh, Xiaoping. Yes. Yes, Deng Xiaoping. Is there? It seems to me that the, at least they they have been able to deliver an increase in the standard of living of the average person in China. It's a, it's a dictatorship, but but they're living better than they did in the seventies and eighties. Yes, that's because at the end of the that the death of Mao was the end of the Cultural Revolution, right? We were we we are talking about for ten years of the Cultural Revolution between 1966 and 1976. China had no education system because Mao wanted to eliminate the whole education system so that they can easily brainwash everyone. So we are talking about for ten years, China had no school, zero school, and there are no engineers in factory. There's no doctors in hospitals. And all the intellectuals, all students and professors were taken to countryside and work as slave labor. And that is when the country eventually, the economy collapsed. Right. So without the money, there's nothing you can do. Right. Even for the Communist Party, without money, you know they they can't buy anything. They cannot enjoy a good life. And that is why、uh, after the death of Mao, Deng Xiaoping started to open up the country a little bit and started to give the land a little bit of land back to. The farmers, so that they can, you know, be more motivated to work, so that the economy can go up. So that is how I think they are not doing this for the benefit of Chinese people. You know, they are going, they 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 are giving a little bit of incentive to Chinese people, so that they, the party, the elite class, can gather more profit. Even nowadays in China, of course, life is much better than thirty years ago. But you know what Chinese people call themselves? They call them, ah,、uh, you know, they like pigs, right? Like you, you feed the pigs really well, and they grow, they become、mm-hmm. fat. So then the owner can slaughter you. So basically, now the Chinese economy is going down 
the government start, started to slaughter the, the pigs, the wealthy people. Like, just look at Jack Ma, right? He lost his company to the government. Like, he, he just willingly gave it up so that he can be alive. And that yeah. also happened to Fan Bingbing, the most wealthy Chinese celebrity, like a Chinese actress. Like, he had, she had to pay a huge fine. Like, basically, you know, she, the government said, okay, like, you did not pay for enough tax. So, but, you know, in China, nothing's transparent. Like, there's no way she can defend herself. There's no way she can go to court, like, to make herself, to, to say, like, I did not. I, you know, I, I follow the law. So basically she had to, she, she disappeared for like three months. And then the rest of the celebrity, the wealthy people immediately started to pay tax, like, you know, extra tax. So basically we call them slaughter the pigs. Mm-hmm. You feed them well and then you kill them. And that is how mafia system works. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you, um, I presume you've seen the movie, uh, The Godfather. Yes. And the proverbial, um, offer you can't refuse is, mm-hmm. yeah. And like you said, uh, Jack Ma willingly signed over his company, his, his billion dollar plus company to the government. Yeah. Cause he want, he wanted to go on living. Yes. Yeah, so uh, same same idea is 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 it's force, not politics. It's it's force, not economics. Um, yes. Zul- and Zul- also, I want to mention, like you reminded me, the one child policy in China. So basically, in the late seventies, they started this one child policy. They say we want to control the population. If you are, you know, have more than one kid. You are going to have, like, you know, pay a huge fine. Of course, they force, like, would force, like, uh, you know, sterilization. They would, like, have forced abortion. But the policy is, like, uh, you can't have more than one kid. If you have more than one kid, you pay a huge fine. And now they, they got what they want, right? China has, the population is shrinking. And then they found another problem, their lack of, you know, cheap labor. Now I say, like, you must have more kids. And and they're already discussing the policy. Like, if you don't have more than three kids, you're going to pay a huge fine. Mm-hmm. So so basically, it's all about how they can manipulate people. Yes. I, you know what? I was going to mention this later, but let's, let's just, we'll transition to this. Is they ended the, the one China policy, uh, one child policy in like six, 2016, 2017. And um, immediately started happening is the fertility rate plummeted. Once they got rid of the policy. So when they got rid of the policy, it was like 1.77%. And it, it plummeted even before COVID, uh, all the way down in 2020, uh, to 1.28. And then my latest figures is 2021 is still plummeting. It's down to 1.16. So whatever's going on, and that's, and it's also common in Western countries as well, is that you have, if you want to maintain a country, if you want to maintain a civilization, you got to reproduce yourself culturally and biologically. And there's something going on in countries, and you see in China it's much worse than America, where it's 1.78, that uh, you can't, is that they're not reproducing themselves. And even in a dictatorship, I think it's probably hard to make people have children. Yes. And that's because the living, like, you know, if you already live a very difficult time, right? Like, uh, you know, you, you don't ha- even have enough money to feed yourself. And how can you have more children? Like nowadays, we're thinking about like a young couple, right? They have to raise their children. They have to financially support four grandparents, right? Like, uh, you know, maybe some even older great, greater grandparents. Like, uh, 
It's already very hard, and although they eliminated the restriction of how many children you can have, well, you can have more than three still, but but they are not giving any incentive to support parents, you know. So so basically, it's just an empty promise, right? They say you can have more children, but where do you get all the resource to have more children? Let's take a pause here and hear from.、Uh... Ed Hoffman again of United American Mortgage, and this half is also brought to you by Attorney Gregory W. Britton, who does business and real property law. And you can、uh, reach him at nine zero nine three three five seven three three five nine zero nine three three five seven three three five. Back after this. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage and host of the main event right here on AM five ninety The Answer. Mortgage rates are up, but credit card rates are way higher. And credit card balances have hit an all-time high as inflation puts the squeeze on everyone's budget. Not to mention how auto loan rates and payments have gone through the roof. Let me point out: it doesn't matter how low your existing mortgage interest rate is if you can't make the payments on everything else. Are you wondering what to do? Do you need some financial strategy? Want to talk to someone who thinks like you? Call me at eight five five six four zero twenty twenty. We'll discuss a strategy that works for you today, and also considers what happens when the interest rates drop as we move into the inevitable recession. To have that discussion, call me toll free at eight five five six four zero twenty twenty. That's eight five five six four zero twenty twenty, or go to edhoffman dot net and click on the United American Mortgage logo. Ed Hoffman and MLS ID number nine nine two one. United American Mortgage Corporation and MLS ID number one nine four two. United American Mortgage Corporation is an equal housing lender and licensed by the California Department of Real Estate. AM five ninety, the answer. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. My name is Greg Britton, Redlands Tea Party Patriots, and Unite IE Coalition of Conservative and Patriot Groups. Very pleased to be visiting this half hour with Wen Chen, who was born in China, grew up in China,、uh, in their.、Uh, Indoctrination system and came to the U.S. for graduate school and、uh, became a scientist here. And fortunately for us, she has stayed here. But she、uh, speaks about what's happening in China, Chinese history, culture, and a Chinese influence in the world. And we're in our second half of the second half here. We're going to talk about China's influence, particularly here in America. And there was a remarkable interview. Our speech was uncovered、uh, by a man named Di Dongsheng, and he's uh, a uh, Dean at their equivalent of Harvard or Yale, and he's an advisor to Xi Jinping,、uh, who has the title of president, really the dictator of China. And he longed to honor talk, but just some samples of what he had to say. Why can't we fix the Trump administration? Why did China and the U.S. used to be able to settle all kinds of issues between 1992 and 2016? It's just because we have people at the top. We have our old friends who are at the top of America's core inner circle of power and influence. To put it bluntly, for the past thirty, forty years, we have been utilizing the core power of the United States. As I said before, since nineteen seventies, Wall Street had a very strong influence on the domestic and foreign affairs of the United States. So we had a channel to rely on. But the problem is that after 2008, the status of Wall Street has declined, and more importantly, after 2016, Wall Street can't fix Trump. And longer talk,、uh, which we don't have, we don't have time to get to. But you see this among American elites and European as well: is this willingness 
to bend the knee to the communist dictatorship of China that uses slave labor, the harvest uh, convicts and prison, political prisoners' organs and sells them, restricts religious liberty and so on. But they're, ha- they're happy to bend their knee to China. Whereas if uh, a state says, adopts a law that says the boys go in the, bo- in the boys' room and the girls go in the girls' room, you got these same leaders and businesses, oh, we have to boycott that state. How does China have so much influence over the leaders of a supposedly free country? Money talks. It's all about the money. Mm. Like, just think about yourself, right? You know, if you collaborate, if you do business with a nation, use slave labor, you're going to make a much, much more money than, you know, having your business with paid fare to all these workers. And of course, like, you know, if you, it, it, it's very hard to resist this kind of, you know, uh, attraction from the Communist Party government and the fame. You know, let's talk about like, you know, so many educators going to China, right? Like they say they are going to tour China. They are going to give a lecture in one of the universities to exchange ideas. And then the Chinese government say, we would, we would like arrange like a luxurious trip. Like you basically pay nothing to go there, eat excellent food. And like live in five star hotels and you go to like one of the top universities in China. And then they arrange students to listen to your lecture. But every student was chosen ahead of time. And they are like, you know, have a very good political background according to the Communist Party standard. And every student's question asked in the classroom were arranged and practiced ahead of time. So basically, not only like they attract these educators, elite people from the U.S., they also brainwash them after they go to China for these kind of trips. Like after the lecture, they will say, wow, the Communist Party, they have so many excellent students and they 100% support communism. And it looks like communism is a very, very good system, much, much better than, you know, democracy. Like they just keep going, going, going. Like I met one of the mayors in the United States. Like, you know, he, I don't want to mention his city, <laughs> um, but he goes to China every month, uh, you know, every year for this kind of achievement. Like, you know, enjoy good food, like, you know, red carpet treatments. I mean, people going to these kind of trips, like they put themselves in this propaganda system. Propaganda always makes you feel very good. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure Kissinger also feel the same way, right? Like he's a good friend of the Communist Party. I'm sure, like, he does not feel guilty because, you know, all he saw was, like, the, the brilliant pictures, like, Communist Party showed him. And he willingly got himself, uh, got himself brainwashed. Not only he was brainwashed, he also got money for all of this, all this profit from this, all the fame from this. And if he, he feels good. He felt good about it. And that is how they do this to all these, uh, you know, community leaders in the United States. Since a very early stage, like, let's talk about the Rotary Clubs. Like, it's a charity club. And many of them organize, like, you know, um, you know, tours to China. And then the Chinese government, the local government would subsidize these tours and assist, assist them in these kind of tours, arrange them to guide, like, tourist spots in China. Uh, in these kind of trips, like, you know, these community leaders, um, they already started to get this kind of brainwash. And let's talk about uh, sister cities in the United States, like Riverside has a sister city with China. And also where I live, Pasadena has a sister city in China. And sister cities also how uh, the Chinese government opened the door 
to the U.S. say, come to tour China, and they would invite the local mayors, like, you know. And, you know, in American politics, people start from, like, the very basic level. You run for city council member, you run for mayor, you run for, you know, state assemblyman, you run for Congress, all the way up, right? So, like, they started as a very early stage, like, uh, to to give you all these kind of benefits and give you a good picture, like, uh, you know, about China and brainwash you. And they, these people, they don't feel they're brainwashed because they say, oh, I saw in my own eyes, like in China, how wonderful people live, right? Like everyone supports the Communist Party. Life is great. But they did not realize, like when they went to China, they they, they are like put in this kind of uh, bubble <laughs> arranged mm-hmm. by the Communist Party. They are very naive. They didn't realize it was a bubble. They didn't realize like everyone surrounding them in this trip was arranged ahead of time with special um, you know, agenda. Yeah. Soviet Union did the same type of thing as they were bringing visitors over and, and everybody that they interacted with was, uh, prearranged and scripted as to what they were going to tell the, the visitors, uh, to influence them. And I think there's also, I think there's a fair number of leaders in, in the supposedly free West, United States and Europe that they like the idea, you know. We can t- we get to tell the people what to do. We got their so we have a social credit system to control their behavior. We can we can we can, we you know, with, with that kind of power we can we can implement our climate change policies. We can end, we can indicate our mandatory vax and health all these things. We can force people to do. You know that sounds pretty good as a ruler. That sounds pretty good to us. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. If they want to keep the power, they would allow the system. <laughs> yes. Um, do you, do you still have family back in China? Yes, but I think it's not a good idea to talk about my family in this radio show. <laughs> okay, I want to specifically, but are you, are you able to communicate with them? Yes, I can communicate with them, but we have to be very careful. We, whenever I communicate with anyone in China, I remember during the COVID, I called my aunt in Shanghai and I asked her about how many people were ill in Shanghai because the Chinese TV said the whole Shanghai only had four patients. And she said, no, no, not for patients. In our building, someone was ill, and that was never reported. The moment that she said that, the phone was cut. Boom. Hmm. And then I called her back. We we dare not say anything about COVID again. So it's just an example. Everything is tapped. And like uh, we're talking about artificial intelligence, picking up your speech and make a decision what to do. Yes. And they're very good at it. I'm sure, like, uh, you know, Google, Microsoft, and Facebook are helping China with all these kind of technology. Well, yeah, that's the fascinating is these American companies supposedly you know, for a free Internet, they were perfectly happy to help China and b- build up its police state technology. Yeah, as I said, money talks. Yes. Uh, that's all the time we have for, for this week, uh, Wen, but uh, it's fascinating. We're definitely going to have you back because China is, 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 is a major player in the world and, uh, we need to understand what they're, what they are and, uh, what they're trying to accomplish. So thank you for your work. Thank you for being on the show. And as always, tune in next week for another exciting edition of Unite, i.e. radio. AM 590, the answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.